0: It's interesting. It's always interesting when, when the Lord's moving, confirming things, doing things. Um, the my entire sermon is based on First John chapter one verses fourteen and fifteen, which appears to be the children's lesson. <laughs> so, um, there's a song I've te- taught it to you guys before. Those who know it, please sing out loud. Uh, but it kind of ties in with a lot of these thoughts. So I wanted to I wanted to sing this right away. It's called Change My Heart, O God familiar with that sing it out really loud for those who can't barely remember it because i did teach it about two years ago so (laughs) change my heart oh god fill me with your spirit take away desires that drive me far from you and whisper from your word lord help my heart to hear it fill me with desire to follow you won't go into the rest of that song but um those thoughts are something i want to be fresh on our mind when we're thinking through what i had to share this morning also i I promised the child that i'd go through this apology i was uh in the van practicing and thinking about these things and making sure i had the right things to say and uh, i saw her coming up to the door so i started pretending i was Kenneth, and so i could embarrass her thinking that she would think that i was going to appear and shout and you know dance and do all the stuff that he does and uh Apparently, the window is open and some people out here heard me and another dollar came up and goes, oh, they can all laugh at you. So <laughs> I'm not going to preach like that. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of thinking about desire, as James described it, and I want to be able to go through it today a little bit. I want to I kind of see some things there, and, I, and I've actually worked on this for a long time, and because of that, I had to pare down a lot. I have a lot to bring this morning. First, let's pray. Lord, we just pray, God, you'd open up all of our hearts, including mine. There's things here that you want to uh, go deep. Help us to cast out the thoughts that that are distracting and things that you don't want us to be thinking about right now and that we can focus on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a time in history when all the house lights, if you had such a thing, if it wasn't candles, were uh, gas lights. And if you think about it, through the walls of your house, there's a compressed natural gas coming through and it spreads out over a little piece of metal, a little net, and that net is set aflame by a little candle. And, and so then there you got this gas light, and you turn it up, and it's the brighter you turn it down, it's a little bit lower, you got this open flame in a house in almost every room, every hallway, every stairwell. And as you can imagine, there would be fires, but they did pretty good. It, Knowing that the dangers of it, the people did a fairly good job of keeping those fires down. But when those house fires happened, they were pretty devastating. They were catastrophic. They were explosive. Can you imagine a a wall catching on fire and there's a pipe behind that wall that contains the gas? It was a a scary time. I heard a story once, couldn't confirm it, so I I can't stand on the validity of the story, but I heard that the motivation, the desire of Thomas Edison to create an electric light bulb was that he had a very close friend a, a child playmate and he lived up the street from him and one night he heard the fire bells go off and he heard the horses go by and the pumper start, and, and he could smell smoke and he went out and he saw the flames of his friend's house and it wasn't too much longer into that flame that the whole house exploded because of the gas that was in there and thomas edison of course he he lost his friend he lost his family the family to friend he lost it was devastating to his childhood and And he said to himself, there's got to be a better way to light a house. This electricity that's around and about and used for other various things surely can be used to light a house. And so he went about thinking about things even at a young age. Let me tell you about another story. There was a man who was president of the United States. He, uh, He had victoriously won... Uh, the first term of his presidency, or <laughs> presidency, his second term of pres- presidency uh, was upon him. And for whatever reason, he had this, this drive, this desire that no matter what, he was going to win. And so he went about some things. Now, whether he did some things or he authorized some things, nevertheless, the end result was that there were some people that broke into the, the National Democratic Convention's office and they were able to steal some uh, secrets, some things about their election. He was able, they were able to, to get some things and they tried to disguise it like a burglary. Uh, but there was a, a security guard that was paying close attention to an outside door and he saw that and he, he kind of foiled the whole plot Uh, Long the short of it is that there was uh, some evidence that the president didn't know about it. Uh, There was a lot of Congress, there was a lot of court cases, there were investigations, there were news stories. And at the end of, a near the middle of his presidency on the second term, uh, this president had to quit. He knew that at any given minute there was going to be a vote and he was going to be the second president of the United States to be impeached. He didn't want to be the, the president that had a problem. So he is the, in our history, he is the only president who left midterm uh, without being killed or impeached. He wasn't quite impeached. He decided to quit. And rather than face the American public and throw himself upon the mercy... Uh, He went on television, and he made himself the victim of the press. He made himself the victim. Boy, things don't change, do they? But he he made himself a victim of the other political party, and all the pressures that are on him. And, And one of the things he's known for is that he got on television, and he said, you won't have Nixon to kick around anymore. Never took credit. Desire. Desire drives us. It's the push. It's the fuel for our movement. Like Edison, it can send us to a noble purpose, or like that president, it can lead us into sin, to cover up, and to self-protection. You know, I'm sure, Brother John. I, I'm positive that Brother James did not know Edison and he did not know Nixon, but he was a keen observer of human nature and a keen listener to God when he uh, when he wrote about the progression of sin. Like discovering the cause to a terrible sickness that claims the lives of so many, James discovered the cause for sin. James 1.14 But each of us is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. You know, It was there in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3 when we get through the story of the fall. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat, nor, you shall, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant for the eyes, and the tree desired it, To make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. It was there given as a warning to the Jews as they were about to enter into the promised land. These are some of the, the precious last words of a dying man who loved his people so much that he said, God, kill me, but save them. This man loved his people. And he wrote, Deuteronomy as a as a last will and testimony, a last please, guys, do whatever you can to obey God. The, the whole book of Deuteronomy is beautiful. And and curiously, it's one of the most quoted books of the Old Testament by Jesus. But in Deuteronomy, he gave this warning. Vicki would probably remember this. Vicki, by the way, is a friend of ours. She sang in our wedding, and this is part of our wedding uh, scriptures that was put out. But he says this, Deuteronomy chapter 30. 17, but if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you that you shall surely perish, that you shall not prolong your days in the land which you are crossing over the Jordan to go into and possess. I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. You know, in fact, I did a little word study in Hebrew for this word desire and the king james version has translated this particular word 30 times they use the words uh, translated like this he, they say pleasant so what was pleasant to the eye that, that same word desire is there he, pleasant is three times desire desired there's translated 11 times no no uh surprise there goodly once and uh when uh, esau and jacob was having their issue and their mother reached over and grabbed the uh, clothing that was goodly was desired from esau's closet and gave it to jacob to to fool the the father uh it's translated as covet four times precious as gold three times there was a that was a pull for something tangible as gold this was excellent for me i love this particular verse maketh his beauty that it waned his beauty. That was translated once. We're going to talk about that verse here in just a second. It was translated as lust. Um, There's a a warning in Proverbs chapter 6, lust not after her, beauty. That's the same word, desire. Uh, It's the the delight, translated twice. Delectable things, it's translated once. And that's in Isaiah. We'll talk about that in just a second. And greatly beloved, three times. This maketh of his beauty. That was an interesting use of the word desire. The maketh of his views was very interesting verses it's in Psalm thirty nine eleven When with rebukes you correct man for iniquity, you make his beauty melt away. That's that word. Makes his beauty melt away is a phrase that comes from that word away like a moth. You make his beauty melt away like a, like a moth. Surely every man is a vapor, Selah. And like the Hebrew writer here, I call us to think about that. Think about that. You can be going full stream in a direction. You can just... You, you, you want to do this, this. you You're powered by that inner drive, this desire. But then he corrects you and all that desire melts away. I'm going to do this sin. I can't stop myself. I'm going to do it. I know this is going to happen. But then there's a correction that happens and then all that desire is like, What is this? This paper. It's just it's just useless. It's not real. It's a fake thing. What in the world? Why was my drive was in that direction? But but he does that. I, I can remember being so full of pride and, and debating and arguing with people, but when God corrected me I I was as humble as a church mouse. I I didn't didn't want to enter into a conflict, an argument, or debate. I I just wanted to sit there in repentance. I wanted to listen to God. I I was a new man. So that desire can melt away when God looks at it, when he gives correction to it. Now listen to this great confession. This is a confession and a sweet prayer. Let's see if you guys recognize it. It's it's a song that's uh, in our circles. It's a chorus that's in our circles. But this is out of a translation i doubt you would catch it but listen to the words nevertheless This uh psalm 19 verses 7 through 14 and he goes through the confessions of, of of the lord the lord's teachings are perfect they give strength to his people the lord's rules can be trusted they help even the foolish become wise the lord's laws are right they make people happy the lord's commands are good they show people the right way to live learning respect for the lord is good it will last forever the lord's judgments are right they are completely fair his teachings are worth more than pure gold there's one of that that words translated desire his teachings are worth more than pure gold more to be desired than they are uh, than than that of gold they are sweeter than the best honey dripping from the honeycomb his teachings warn his servants and good things come to those who obey him and here's the prayer we had a confession now here's a prayer people cannot see their own mistakes they don't know that so don't let me commit secret sins he's he's praying this what a prayer for us today people cannot see their own mistakes so don't let me commit secret sin don't let me do what i know is wrong don't let sin control me if you help me i can be pure and free from sin what a promise what a prayer may my words and thoughts please you lord You are my rock, the one who rescues me. That last verse is that one that we would know. um, May my anyway can't think of the tune right now. But um, you would know that in King James a little bit different in verse 14, Psalm 19:14. Here's another interesting use of that word in Isaiah 44:9. Those who make an image, all of them are useless, and they're precious. There's that word. Their desire. Delectable, their desired things shall not profit. They are their own witness. They neither see nor or, or know uh, that they may be ashamed. What that verse is talking about there, if you kind of dissect some of the words, is saying, my desire is not for it to rain. So to rain, I'm going to make a little stone image of a rain god. My desire is that uh, that I'll grow up and marry a beautiful woman. So I'm going to have this idol that I can sacrifice to. My desire is led me to make this idol and and he's saying here that's useless your desire is not going to be fulfilled by a rock or by a log it's not going to be fulfilled by that and and what more you can think about our own lives our habits the sins that we go to that selfishness that we we heard about earlier that little bits of selfishness is those sins in our life and we often say to ourselves if i just do this then i'll have that or or how about the famous one that if i sin then i'll be fulfilled if I could just get that car, I'll be fulfilled. And I'm going to sacrifice all things so I can get that particular car. Or I can get that particular wife. Or I can get that particular whatever. Whatever it is. And those idols are useless. That, that desire is just going to fade away. You know, we all like formulas. We're talking about desire here. The desire that leads to sin. Well, we all like formulas, right? If you spend an hour every day in prayer on bent knee... Then you'll never face temptation or if you fill every waking moment with praise humming it singing it speaking it listening to it then you'll never face the temptation well how about this one this is one of my favorites because i preached it <laughs> if you pull out your dagger when the enemy is near you know your dagger that verse you've memorized so when you hit temptation you can pull that dagger out and you can do damage to the enemy my dagger blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god Or how about this dagger? For if you go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there is no longer remains for you a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. That's a great dagger. That is a phenomenal dagger to remind you. How about this one? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. You'll never have to endure the temptations again. Right, right? You are safe from the flood of temptation or from the slow drip of the tempter when he uh, wears away your resistance. And yet, has that really been successful? Has that really been successful? If sin is defined as little bits of selfishness, sure, that dagger has helped me defeat lots of lust in my life and lots of inappropriate thoughts. But when somebody hurts me, do I respond back in anger? That little bit of selfishness i don't i don't know if that's a go-to all the time that dagger is awesome it's a great thing but that's not quite the answer that prayer great good to do worship you know god inhabits the people who praise him we're told that's a great way of doing it but these are all formulas you know james he's really just giving a commentary there in chapter one he's talking about the sermon on the mount he he's, he's talking about things that jesus said and um not particularly in the sermon about this particular thought but that in jesus in matthew 15 as repeated in mark 7 uh jesus said this what comes out of a man defiles a man from from within out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts adulteries fornications murders uh thefts covetousness wickedness deceit uh, lewdness and the evil eye which um, if you do any research on evil eye it's actually a really good study evil eye is not uh, the evil eye is talking about your generosity your giving it's it's out of a it's a quote out of a psalm anyway uh, blasphemy pride foolishness all these evil things come from within and defile a man do they they come from within or are they just getting out that's the problem that's what James is telling us these things are in there they're they're like good rich soil that a weed falls into and it's going to grow it's a good rich pond where a seed is going to spread or the roots are going to go you got to be watching it you know the problem the problem is the enemy knows there's a hidden door in our mind you know if he walked up if the if the devil walked up to us today may look like a slick salesman or whatever and he said hey turn that rock into a loaf of bread now we would know right away what to do Right, we would know. Hey, we got to flee that. That's that's magic. That's witchcraft. That's that's Satan talk. I want to flee from that. That has nothing to do with my life. We would know that. But instead, the devil sometimes he he works his way into our desires. He he whispers and we listen. And there's fertile soil for that. And we got to be able to have a ready answer for that. Those secret passageways in our thinking. You know, he knows those very well. He's that's very familiar territory to him. James spoke to us about one of the largest secret passages in our lives. And I got to ask this morning, how is your desire this morning? How is your drive, your passion? What is your passion? To make that next widget? To 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 read that next book? Even is it a good passion? to raise my children, to be godly people. What is your passion? What's the drive? What's the motivation? What's the the power that gets you to take that next step? You know, I I was thinking about this. I was going through it. How many castles have been won by this little secret water gate? Not water gate as a Nixon, but a water gate and a castle wall. You've got to have water coming into a castle under siege to be able to sponsor life. They've got to have fresh water. And it's good to get the disease water out. So you have this little water gate that's well protected and has chains on it and has bars on it. It's usually under water. The wall goes all the way down. And yet, if the enemy knows about that, then they're able to sneak through that, come through and open the gate and let the horde in. And that's kind of like what our desires are. You may have a great desire. You may just have a desire to, to be successful or whatever. And the enemy can come in riding on that desire and he can open those floodgates and just allow us to be so vulnerable. You know, desire can be based in the flesh. Uh, it can be based in the world or it can even be spiritual. Paul uses this word in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. And in, in 1 Corinthians, corinthians 14 he says pursue love and desire spiritual gifts but especially that you may prophesy i turned when you do a word study i turn to the faithful oh my goodness i forget the year was it that uh webster's dictionary is 18 what 1828 okay 1828 dictionary webster full of scripture and But uh, he defines desire as this. Desire, when directed solely to a sensual enjoyment, differs little from appetite. In other languages, I found this really interesting. In other languages, desire is expressed by a longing or a reaching towards. And when it's intense, it approaches a longing. But the word in English usually expresses less than longing. So in other words, in most languages, when you use the word desire, it's I desire this. I earnestly desire this. And to us, it's hey, you know, I, I desired to do such and such the other day, and it's not, not as meaningful. So when we read it in the Bible, when we read this word desire, this translated all these different ways, remember that. But it's, it's actually a deeper. It's a longing. It's an appetite. We uh, This is an example that Webster gave out of 1 Thessalonians 2. We endeavor to see you face to face with great desire. It says longing. Uh, a prayer or a request to obtain, he will fulfill the desires of them that fear him, out of Psalm 145. Desire can be a love or an affection. He, his desire is towards us, in Psalms of Solomon, chapter 7. It's an appetite, a lust, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, Ephesians chapter 2. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, Webster came up with that uh, verse there. He, he wanted to share or uh, ex- do an example of desire as used in Ephesians uh, I went to that verse and looked at it a little bit Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 and you uh, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the Prince of the power of the air the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also We all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, there's that word, fulfilling the desires, once again, same word, of the flesh and of the mind. And we're all natures of children of wrath, just as the others. But God, (laughs) I love that verse, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You know it's interesting. As, as I looked over these verses, as I considered all these things, Moses talks about it in Deuteronomy. He says, "Watch for those desires, lest you be drawn away to idols." David, uh, in Psalms, carries that thought along. Jesus teaches it. Paul picks it up as the same thing at the same time. Uh, it goes into the, the eels we talked about in First Corinthians. But the desires come from our mind, our thoughts. You know, 2 Corinthians, Paul brings this point up in 10.4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. These thoughts, if not controlled, lead to wrong desires that lead to more contagious thoughts that lead to actions that are sin that lead to death separation just like Adam and Eve felt from their presence of of their Creator so I'm not here to offer you a formula pray a certain amount of time read a certain amount of chapters I'm not asking you to to write down a formula to save you from these desires understanding these desires are, are the seed That leads us into sin They are the seed that pushes us closer to God These desires are important to be looking at These thoughts if not controlled Will lead more and more into those things So I'm not giving you a formula That keeps you from sin But I'm trying to offer today A realization of ourselves I want you to look at your motivations Those motivations will lead you to death Or they'll lead you to life Choose today which way you'll go that should put a new life in that verse, that prayer of David's in Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. By the way, in King James, that word is translated thoughts, as in keep our thoughts in control. And know my anxieties. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting. So the root of sin... Is in this desire, the energy to make it grow is that desire, and that that pushes the flower, that that makes it grow, that gives it seed, that makes it spread. Is desire, all that energy is tied up in that one little part of our brain, that desire. And you, you, you can you can work on your life, you can look at your life, you can get rid of sin, you can get rid of habits. Uh, even if the appearances of it are, are now gone, if you, if, you do the, if you don't change, if you don't go through the challenge of changing the desire, you won't have a better plant, one that grows towards the light, rather than growing towards sin. And that habit will come back. Here's the problem, though. How can you change your desire? I mean, if it's a sin, you can identify it. You can repent of it. You could go the other way. You could get accountability. You could join a support group. You could get counsel. But this desire thing is deeper. right? It's part of who you are. It's part of how you were raised. It's part of you before you even became saved. It's part of you now as you're sitting here working out your salvation. It, it is deeper in you than even the Ten Commandments. You know, I was an officer at the time of the whole debate. Came up about hate crimes. I don't know if you remember this or around the area, but it became it was a federal uh, deal that they, they had to tear this thing apart. Uh, they made there were commentaries about police officers being called into being thought police. Right. And in a nutshell, let me explain what a what a hate crime is. If you assault somebody and you leave them a mark, if there's a bruise, if there's a if there's a wound on them, that crime and that is a crime. That crime is called assault in the first degree. If you do offensive physical conduct spit on somebody for example or push them, shove them you don't leave a mark but it's an offensive physical contact well that's just harassment but then you put this little hate crime issue on it and then the issue is the lawyers, the judge the the prosecutor, the, the police officer on the front line has to have this one little distinction that they do it because they perceive the other person to be whatever, fill in the blanks black, uh, jewish uh, the Mennonite you know did they did they do it because the person was something that was offensive some protected class right and it was a it was a huge debate but tell you what um, it's happened that is the law of the land so now they have to kind of dice out why somebody assaulted somebody else why they spit on whatever because it comes from a crime to now it's a serious crime because of the thoughts you know the laws of our land are pretty strict the burden on the police officers and the judges are, are, are pretty strong in this area but i gotta ask you who was first was it judge roberts the the supreme court justice or was it jesus it seems to me jesus settled this a long time ago he he's the one who told us that way before we commit the crime of breaking this the sixth commandment thou shall not murder way before the the Oregon or or the federal government decided that there should be a hate crime. He seems to he brought up that whole you, Thou shalt not murder higher to another level, and he said that we are not to even hate. He said just the thought of being angry, and by that word that by the way that word is not just angry, but it's enraged, enraged. He says just by being enraged towards someone that is murder, that leads to the judgment of murder. He took this whole thought crime thing way higher than we did, right? And unlike a judge, he doesn't have to kind of figure out by things you said and the things you did. He knows. He knows what we did and why we did it. You know, that was the first hate crime. That was the definition of the first hate crime. It's hard for me to believe that once you're saved, your want to is changed so much that what James has to tell us here in the first chapter is just irrelevant. It's hard for me to believe that James went through all of this. Wisdom and all this pulling from the Old Testament and what Jesus said and and all this stuff uh, when he's not even talking to Christians, right? If our want to is completely changed so that we don't have desires that don't lead the wrong direction. It's hard for me to believe that. But I don't have to believe that because if you read chapter 1 there, he starts out by talking to the brethren. I don't think he's talking to the Jews. I think he's talking to Christians. It seems to me he considered them to be Christians, at least. So this is relevant to us. Our desire can be broken. We can still have one foot in the flesh and one foot in the grave. And I hope you catch the nuance of that. We could have one flesh that's still alive and breathing and, and has desires that are earthly and one that's dead to ourselves, dead to the world. We could still be in that, that position. What do you think about every day? You know, do you, do you think about that sermon that you heard? The, the point that made? That scripture you just heard about? Uh, do you, are you thinking constantly about that last newscast? About the COVID and about what the government's doing? And about the raised taxes and the unemployment? And the, Are you thinking about all that? Are you thinking about that plate of cookies that you saw your daughter make last night? Is that the thing that's occupying your mind? Is there something that you heard in your quiet time? You opened the Bible and you prayed, and God revealed the scripture. You're thinking about that scripture all day long. We heard that scripture or that, that sermon over at Roger's house a while back uh, on a on a tape or CD or whatever it was. But the fellow was saying that he has a little 3x5 card, and when God hits him with a scripture, he writes that down. He has it in his pocket all day long. He's bringing it out for a whole week or whatever it was. He brings it out until he, so he gets it memorized. Is that what your mind is occupying on? On scripture, on what God has shown you? If we were to record your thoughts all day long and play them right here over that speaker, would we all be encouraged? Would we all be edified? Or would we be sitting there going, oh, oh, quite like my daughter was looking at the van going, Dad, can you just be quiet? You know? I think the more we set our minds on the things above, right? First or Colossians chapter 3. The more we set our minds on the things above, then the more we will fill our minds with praise and worship with or without notes the more we meditate on his word the more we pray the more relevant god is to our thought life when we have a fiery dart that comes by that will be that what would jesus think what would jesus do because he's he's more relevant to us the more he becomes relevant to us the more we think the more we pray the more we praise god the more we involve him in our conversations with others he becomes more relevant. And I'm convinced that that's the secret to a victorious life in Christ. If our thought life is more focused on Him, it will affect our desires that will drive us towards the kingdom. If we're focused more on ourselves, more focused on the world. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, So then faith comes by hearing, and the hearing of the word of God. Romans 12 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. You know, to do otherwise, I, this, this next couple sections, I really want you to listen to this. This, is, this was a little surprising to me. You know, to do otherwise to be focusing on God and not focusing on the world. You're defeating His desire in you. Romans 8, verse 28. You can all memorize it. You all say it. Um, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. Listen to this 29. For whom He foreknew, He also presented, uh, predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. There's God's desire for your life. To be conformed to the image of His Son. And if we're focused on anything else, if our minds and our desires are set on anything else other than God and His kingdom and what He's doing in me, then we're fighting against God. His desire for us is to be conformed to His Son's image. Not only are we working against His desire in our life, when we give only part of us and not the whole, say, uh, my words. I'm going to work on my cussing, and I'm going to work on on how I talk, and, uh, and I'm going to do that. Um, but we don't do anything about the things in our heart. Then we're then we're leaving out. There's there's an unrepented part that's just going to keep coming back and back and back. There's a, a psalm. It's out of context. I I don't quite understand in context where it's talking about here. In Psalm 36, 4 it has this little verse that is thrown in there. He, devised wi- he devises wickedness on his bed he sets himself in a way that is not good he does not abhor evil they can envision this guy just sitting there just thinking these evil thoughts now when he's awake and he's around he may even be a priest he may be preaching sermons he may be known as a guy who 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 hands out uh, scrolls because you know they didn't have tracks back in, but they had scrolls right and they, he could be the guy that people know in the community as a follower of god but there he is lying in his bed and he's devising this wickedness He doesn't abhor evil. He really doesn't truly abhor evil. But even worse, I get this, this just knocked me out of my seat when I was doing this study. But even worse, we affect his ministry that's still going on today among us. Uh, Just listen to the words, in a fresh ear, listen to the words of this rebuke that Jesus gives Peter. He turns and says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Then Jesus turns to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, I don't want you to lose that because we know that verse so often. (coughs) Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. See, Peter's interest those mindful thing, things of man were an offense to Jesus. Let's hear it again. Matthew 16:23 but he turned to Peter and he said give behind me Satan you are a hindrance. It says in the uh, ESV English Standard Version, you are a hindrance to me for you're not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. It says in the American Standard Version, this is the, the forerunner for the a, a New American, obviously. It says, Thou art a stumbling block. How do you like to be called a stumbling block to Jesus and what he's doing? And what's the stumbling block part of it? The mind is not on God. It's on the things of man. That's it. His thoughts are not focused on the things of God. This one, I think, went a little too far. <laughs> i got to admit that. But I, I can't leave it out because the words are so powerful. This is out of a translation called God's Word. It's a 1995 copyright date on it. It says this, You are tempting me to sin. I think it's a little bit too far. But the picture is accurate. I think the picture of what's being said there is accurate. You're an offense to me. You're a hindrance to me. This is a stumbling block to me. Because your mind's not on God. If your mind is on the things of this world, who they vote for, how they run their wars, where they spend your tax money, you know how their music is really, really catchy. What the next glossy image will show you, and I, and and those who struggle with pornography knows exactly what I'm talking about there. If your if your heart, your mind, your desire is what's that next thing, what's that next lift, what's that next kick to show you. If your if your mind is set on when your next favorite restaurant's going to open up. What car? What dress? What house color? What truck? Whatever. You just fell in the blank. What's the in and what's the out of today's society? Then I dare say that you're a stumbling block to what God wants to do in amongst you, in your life, in your family, in your circles. You're a hindrance. You're an offense. Who wants to be that? Nobody says here, and I want to be an offense to Christ. Now, to be fair to the scriptures and the context of the scripture, this quote that I'm, that I'm sharing with you comes from a time in the salvation story where Jesus was facing unsurmountable, overwhelming emotional issues. Knowing the facts of, about what's going to happen, he was coming into the uh, the point where there's going to be a separation there was going to be pain, there was going to be suffering, he was going to die on the cross, but that separation from his Father because he represented sin, that moment was coming and it was overwhelming. But the point is true that if we're worldly minded, we are in his way. John went so far as to say, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of this world. And the world is passing away, and the lust thereof it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. There are so many scriptures in this point, I could go on and on, but I'm not. I don't. Um, tried really hard to stay in time, we'll see. Uh, but I got, this, this was, get this, please, if you, get, if you don't get anything else, I hope everything that I have to say here will support this one thought in your mind as you think about this, as you go forward from here, as you contemplate what's being said today. Our mind is not necessarily the battleground between good and evil, between the flesh and between God. It's not necessarily the battleground. It's the feeding ground. What we put into our mind is what our desire is going to feed on. You know, I found a lengthy quote from Matthew Henry. And it says a lot to us today. And it's long. I cut out a whole page of it, by the way, uh, last night. But, um, But it is long. So just listen. Old language a little bit. We are taught here the true cause of evil and where it lies, where the blame ought to be laid. Every man is tempted in an ill sense when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. In other scripture, the devil is called the tempter and other things may sometimes concur to tempt us. But neither the devil nor any other person or thing is to blame so as to excuse ourselves from the true origin of evil and temptation is in our own hearts. The combustible material. I love that line. The combustible matter is in us. Though the flame may be blown up, may, it may be Satan, the serpent, whispering to Eve. That may be the source. But the combustible material was within, within her heart when he set it ablaze. The method of sin is this proceeding. First it draws away, then it entices. As holiness consists of two parts, forsaking that which is evil and cleaving to what that, that which is good, so these two things reversed are the two parts of sin. The heart is carried away from what is good and it's enticed to cleave, to hold on to, to not let go of those things which are evil. Again, I cut out a bunch of his quotes. For time's sake, that is, sin being allowed to, ex, uh, to excite desires in us, it will soon ripen those desires to consent, and then it is said to have it, uh, it will be conceived, and then there's your sin. Let sin therefore be repented of and forsaken before it is finished. Why will you die, O house of Israel? God has no pleasure in your death, as He has no hand in your sin, but both sin and misery. Are owing to yourselves, your own hearts, lusts, and corruption are your tempters. And when, by degrees, they have carried you off from God and finished the power and dominion of sin uh, in you, then you will prove they will prove to be your destroyers. That was a quote out of Ezekiel chapter 33:11. In a nutshell, Matthew Henry is making it clear that what James is saying is he's laying the, the blame for sin at our own door. He's saying, right there, you're the one who picked it up. Now, it may have been delivered by somebody else, but you're the one who picked it up. Jesus said, out of the heart proceeds evil things, murders, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and blasphemies. Matthew 15. Um, moving on. We have, a, we have a lot this morning about what's on our minds and how is your desire this morning? What you're thinking about. Is it on God or is it wanting to please Him? Is He real enough? to you that he is to be considered when a thought crosses your path I've already gone over long quotes this morning I'm not going to say anything more about a long quote uh, however Spurgeon had something to say he said when somebody does you a good turn when you when you have been the benefit, uh, the beneficiary of, of a benefactor when somebody has paid your, your restaurant bill paid your hospital bill he has done some great thing for your son or for your daughter when he has done some great achievement there's this natural desire to get to want to know him. We went back to Pennsylvania, and I wanted, I wanted to spend time with the lead family because they have treated my children so well. I, I have made an effort to look up Elisha Hoffman. His songs have meant so much to me. I wanted to know about his life. I wanted to know about his ministry. I wanted to know if there's any sermons recorded by him or any more songs by him. I really wanted to know more about him, and that's a natural thing. But if you stop and think about who did the greatest thing for us, it's Jesus. Right? He, is, he has benefited our lives in ways that we don't even know until eternity. And is our drive or desire to know Him better, I thought that was a great, great point. You know, here's another practical point: uh, the value of your communication. You know, we've talked a lot about what's on our on our mind, but here's something I thought about when we were going through this sermon. Here is that when we speak, it's like we're giving permission to our hearts about what to believe in, what to think. Right? The value of your communication. I have a child in my family who uh who called another child a pretty bad name, and I set that child down and I talked to him and I said that that you are part of a family that is known to love each other. Every member in this family knows that you love them. This is not some random person driving down two twenty eight with their window and they yell at my child some obscenity. No, that's just that's just blech you though are loved and you are known to be loving so when you say something like that it hurts even deeper he's been given a voice you know somehow it's more harmful it's more hurtful when it's coming from somebody that is supposed to love me what about our speech how are we doing Here's some random quotes I want to throw out to you. But I say to you people who are listening to me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. All people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. Love never gives up on people. It never stops trusting, never loses hope, and never quits. We pray that the Lord will make your love grow. We pray that He will give you more and more love for each other and for all people. We pray that you will love everyone in the same way that we love you. You know, God is fair, and He will remember all the work you have done. He will remember that you showed and showered your love on Him by helping His people, and that you continue to help them. Show respect for all people. Love your brothers and sisters in God's family. Respect God and honor the King, President, ruler. you put it in there live a life of love love others just as christ loved us he gave himself as a sweet smelling sacrifice an offering a sacrifice to god you should owe nothing to anyone except that you will always love one another the person who loves others has done all that the laws command and you must love god with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength and you must love others the same as you love yourselves these commandments are more important than all the animals and sacrifices we can offer to god our speech is His to use when we talk about the government do we do so with respect I'm talking to myself here just as much as anybody else do we use our voice the one that God gave us to talk do we use it unlovingly do we use it disrespectfully about anyone Ephesians 5 2 and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering a sweet sacrifice sweet smelling aroma but fornication and all uncleanliness and covetousness, let it not be even named among you as it is fitting for the saints neither uh, filthiness or foolish talking or coarse joking which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks rather all of that give thanks that's what our voice is for we're always looking at that verse and we think about our actions uh, but it's talking about how much we talk it's almost as if our brain needs permission from our own words on what to dwell on when we speak, it becomes part of us. So when we engage in gossip and lies and coarse joking and disrespectful descriptions of others, these are all open doors. These doors let in things that feed our desires. And that's what we forget here. A whole verse of what we're talking about today. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desires when they have conceived give birth to sin. And sin when it's fully grown brings forth yeah. There's a here, here's a way of uh, listening to a scripture that that you know too well. So I'm, I'm purposely going far a stream with a translation. So just listen to this and see if you can hear it. People's desires make them give into immoral ways, filthy thoughts, and shameful deeds. They worship idols. They practice witchcraft. They hate others. They are hard to get along with. People become jealous, angry, and selfish they not only argue and cause trouble but they are envious they they get drunk they carry on in wild parties and they do other evil things as well i told you before as i am telling you now no one who does these things will share in the blessings of god's kingdom god's spirit makes us loving happy peaceful patient kind good faithful gentle and self-control there is no law against these behaviors And because we belong to Christ Jesus, we have killed our selfish feelings and desires. God's Spirit has given us life, and so we shall follow the Spirit. You know, when you read that part of Scripture, you all know that I was quoting from a different translation, but you all know what I was reading. When you read those things, do you focus on, yeah, well, we don't do that. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. I don't do that part. I don't do those sins. You know, there's no wild parties here. I think that's even our brotherhood agreement, right? I mean, there's no wild parties at Valley Christian Fellowship. We're not going to do that. But really, ask yourself, am I loving? Ask yourself, am I happy? Am I peaceful? Am I patient? Am I kind? Am I good? Am I faithful? Am I gentle? Am I self-controlled? Am I long-suffering? Am I meek? Am I temperate? You know, this is the fruit. The fruit. This is the telling evidence of the tree. The value of a tree altogether. It's not that it's beauty. It's not that it gives great shade. The value of a fruit tree is what it produces. What its harvest is. What its fruit is. Is that what life in Christ is producing in you? And if it is, great. Amen. (laughs) Keep it up. Because that proves that your desire, those things that, that, that base drive in your life, is focused on Christ, and these fruit is this going to be part of it? You know, I was thinking about how do you change your interests. This is how I started. How do you change your desires? Watching your thought life and guarding your words will only get you so far, but it's that intake. It's what you're feeding your desires. Praying, praying, and praying. Are you reading? Hebrews four twelve talks about the word, uh, the 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 sword of the word. The Word is like a sword of the Lord, right? And it cuts between this and that, and, it bones, and bones and marrows and joints and all that, and the muscles and the tissue. It's, it's, it's just cutting things up. Are we letting the Bible read us as we read? Or are we just like, I got my chapter done for the day? You know? Getting really close here, so I'm trying to, trying to skip a few things. But um, if we pray that ever-so-dangerous prayer, God, search me and really mean it. Show me any wicked way in me. Keep in mind that you are asking the God of all creation, the maker of heaven and earth, the maker of every part of you. We're asking Him to look into our hearts and to tell us what's wicked. We're asking Him what displeases you. What's in me that's making you stumble? What's a stumbling block in my life for you doing your ministry through me? What is an offense to you And here's the deal, though. If you do that and he starts pointing things out to you, he says, Oh, I just was waiting for you to ask. Here, 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 and here. Oh, I see. And then you go on and you do something else and you totally forget that. James talks about that, too, right? Looking into the mirror of his word and then walking away. That's when that desire starts to take root and go the wrong direction. You know, I was going to say that. You can ask God. There was a pastor that my wife and I sat under for a long time, and he said, if you have no desire to serve God, that's your first prayer. Ask for the desire to serve Him. Great thought. Great song. The song I just sang, right? This is a great thought. Asking God to give you the desire. And I'm not saying it's wrong. But you know, I was going through the Bible. I really didn't find that. I didn't find where God's giving the desire to people. Now, I know our Calvinist friends would say, well, it's really clear. It's almost every other page. Well okay I didn't quite see it I saw some scriptures that kind of hinted towards it we can't really follow God unless he unless he uh, does some enlightenment he does some sort of uh, touch of the spirit I understand that Um, but everywhere I turned when I looked at this phrase change my heart change my thoughts change my motives I got things like this Acts 8.22 change your heart turn away from those evil thoughts and pray to the Lord maybe he will forgive you this is one of the disciples uh, chastising a a person that was going after witch well I'll go into the story the point is the disciples telling him that he has the effort you need to change your heart revelations two twenty one i have given her time to change her heart and turn away from sin but she does not want to change isaiah forty six eight sinners change your heart and mind think about this again remember it and be strong job forty two six and I am ashamed of myself. I am so sorry. As I sit here in the dust and the ashes, I promise to change my heart and my life. You know, it, it, it seems like, yes, God's Spirit will awaken things and God's Spirit will show you things. And and, and hopefully there's some things that are in this, this sermon that will, that will wake up your idea that there's a desire in my heart that I need to check and make sure and I need to pray and I need to focus on all these things. Yes, but... It's not God that's going to change your heart. It's not God that's going to change those desires. You've got to make the effort. Fill your life with the things that feed those desires in the right direction. And you disagree with that? Talk to me afterwards. I I love that song, Change My Heart, O God. Fill me with desires that please you. I love that song. I love that thought. And I do pray that. I'm not saying don't. But it just seems to me that the biblical account of that role is you. You need to start working on that. You know, when I was back in PA lately, uh, uh, recently, I sat down with some godly men. Some men I respected, uh, Ed Landis and and a couple other fellows, and George Lead. And I, I I got I asked them, how do you change your desires? How do you change your desires? And all of them gave them some pretty good answers. Uh, but they all pretty pretty much of fill your life with godly things. Uh, Ed Landis, I don't know if you know about this, but he's he's taking troubled youth out of out of uh, Philadelphia. Harrisburg. He's taking troubled, gang related, crime ridden Harrisburg youth out to a horse farm that's on the edge and he's he's filling them with love and showing them with true love and giving them the Bible and, and, and working with these children. He's and his desires have changed for his life. He's living the first night that he came, wow, I'm really abusing your guys' time. He the first night though, it's a great story. The first night he came to his taking his godly family from where they were fellowshipping with Mark and fellowshipping with all these people and and he took him to this house to this horse farm that's right on the edge of a crime ridden city and uh, he's like you know okay we're outside the city we're going to be okay first night he was there two o'clock in the morning the the morning he shows up with his moving van there's a van in front of his house riddled with bullets one of his windows in an outbuilding has been shot out and somebody had been seriously injured I think later found that they they, they were shot and killed um, right in front of his house and he's looking at his wife and going, Well, welcome to the city. You know, God's called us here. This is what we're doing. We're going to put our own safety on the shelf and we're going to focus on these kids that did this stuff. We're going to, we're going to be here for a reason. And, and uh, that's awesome. Mark, though, he had something different to say, and I really appreciate what he had to say. At first, I didn't. Mark looked at me and he said, and When I said, How do you change your desires? He looked at me and said, Jesus. And he looked at me as I was kind of like, well, yeah, you know. <laughs> he looked at me and goes, I know that sounds oversimplified, but then he said, if your desire to sin is greater than Jesus, then you're looking at the wrong Jesus. You need to spend time looking for the right Jesus because the right Jesus is bigger than everything. If he's not bigger than everything, including your desire to sin, then you're looking at the wrong Jesus. Now, he's a wise man. I really appreciate what he had to say. You know, no sin, no desire to sin, no pleasure of this world that has to offer is bigger than Jesus. You know, James three fourteen says this. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. But where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there but the wisdom that is from above is first pure then peaceable gentle willing to yield full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy now the fruit of righteousness is is, is sown in peace by those who make peace please write that verse down this is James chapter 3 verses 14 through 18 if what's in your heart is not from above then you have work to do. It's not just a simple prayer. It's not just a simple song. If the fruit that you have, the envy in your heart, the desire in your heart, the, the push, the drive, the, the the thing that pushes you towards one direction or another, if it's not from above, if it's not, what is it again? But the wisdom that's from above is first pure. It is it is uh, peaceful. It's gentle. It's willing to yield. Th- that wasn't me. I still got to work a lot of that stuff out. Is it full of mercy, forgiving everybody? Is it good fruit, the stuff that we talked about earlier, the the fruit that comes from a life that's possessed and, and has the right drives and the right desire? Then you have work to do. Look, you know, in our church, we know the value of not having a television in your house we know the value of not listening to worldly radio we know the value of of not being into debates and and not being we understand that we we encourage each other we help each other we we challenge each other in those things our bar is so much higher then, because that's easy stuff to get rid of but if if nobody else knows that you have a heart that desires something that's not godly if it's not pure then you've got work to do don't don't just say that people don't know me that way. does God know you that way so. <laughs> father i i i I have fumbled over these words, and I know that I've slaughtered intent and i and I know translations are an issue, and I know all those things. Help all of us to push that aside, including myself, that we would know what your heart is for us, that we would think pure thoughts, we would have pure motivations. <laughs> That we would have a heart that wants to see you succeed here on earth. What, Whatever you want here. Let it be done in heaven. Let it be done here. Your desire for us is to be shaped and molded to look like your son. And I'm far from that, Father. I confess that to you. I'm far from that. I, I need a fresh wind of desire in my life. I need you to point out what things in my life that are giving permissions for seeds of the enemy I want the combustible material of my life not set aflame by the world and by my flesh but Lord I want to I want to listen to you I want to grow to be more like your son in Jesus name amen thank you for listening I give my time back.